Desideratum is a Latin word, meaning things that are desired as essential or fundamental. The tradition of and human condition of needing storytelling inspired this podcast. Just longing for stories to share and wishing for moments with gifted storytellers. The Desideratum podcast celebrates the art of telling and the journey of listening with narrator Teresa Bakken and her author, artist, and wordsmith friends. Episode 3, 13 Seconds. Well, I have to tell you a little story about what happened this weekend. We had two airplanes land on our lake this this weekend. We were not expecting visitors. And so, I mean, I was so excited. I mean, almost like a puppy dog. You know, because I was like, oh, we have visitors. That is Ann Parker. You can hear and feel her joy at telling a good story, right? You should know Ann and her husband, Sean, are retired her from teaching, him from law enforcement. And when they retired, they moved to an off-the-grid cabin in Alaska, where planning and focusing on life's necessities and logistics is essential to survival. Today, you're going to hear a story from her book, Follow Me to Alaska, about a moment, a phone call, that no one can ever really prepare for. It's about a plane crash. I also want you to listen to Anne's thoughts on a few things, like getting unstuck and having a big chicken approach to bravery. I think you'll like her dog Kuma's biggest gift to her and the view, the perspective she has developed of community and of seasons from their remote cabin on Cub Lake. I'm sitting in our cabin uh, a long ways from anybody. And when I look out of the window right now, I pretty much see black and white, except for the sky. So all of our color pretty much comes from blues and reds in the sky. And then right now we are getting a, about 12 hours of daylight. We're about to start melting. Uh, and then it's amazing how quickly the green starts popping up. The summer, the flowers here, I mean, you can see so many different colors, and then you have the daylight all day and all night. So it's completely different. It is very extreme. When I was reading your book, I was struck by how the snow melt and the lake being a lake versus the lake being frozen solid to land on, like everything changed, your modes of transportation and, and how you had access to things changed by the season. Gosh, and I think this was part of the reason I decided I better write this book. You never know when, when a season ends, you may not get to that season again. Does that make sense? I mean, our, our seasons in life change and we don't really know it. You know, you know, we have a season for our kids to grow up and before you know it, they're gone. It's changed my way of thinking about a lot of things. You know, even sitting down and visiting with a friend, you might not get that chance again. So that, that has really changed my way of thinking as well with the seasons. Yeah. I want people to be inspired by what we've done. Not that, you know, that they necessarily need to come to Alaska, 
but sometimes people just need to say, well, they did something that was hard. I think I can do my hard thing. So there's something about your honesty and your openness that then invites people to feel, they feel your vulnerability, but they also feel your bravery. Um, that's just a great gift. Yeah. It's funny. I, I, I don't ever feel brave. If anything, I feel like a big chicken, you know, I'm scared a lot and I'm like, oh, I have to overcome another fear. But I guess that's what bravery is, is being scared and doing it anyway. But that's kind of funny. Yes. No, that's a great definition of bravery, isn't it? That you are, <laughs> you overcome your fears. You're very honest about the things in your lives and in your former careers that drove you to look for change. I think it's almost easier to make an extreme change and get completely into a different spot than it is to slowly get out of that rut. I mean, if you've ever been stuck, you have to, you have to gun it. You know, I, I write about us being stuck because we got stuck a lot. I think it, it helped us get out of our rut. But I mean, you don't have, you can't just ease out of a rut. You have to jump it. You have to really hit it hard and get out of there. I think that's the only way to get out of a, you know, when you're really stuck. I love that metaphor. I love that. <laughs> that's one of the reasons I think you've had such positive feedback from people. You allow someone to see the practical aspect of a story. And yet there's always, to me, a larger message in what you're writing about. Uh, well, I think part of that may just come from being a teacher. I talk to my students a lot. They would say, why do we have to learn algebra? But you need to know how to learn. And so a lot of times we, I would teach things in class and I would tell them like a, a multiple choice test. I would say, uh, do you want to go through life not being able to tell the truth, being able to recognize the truth? And they would say, well, no, I don't like being lied to. And I'd say, well, multiple choice test. You have three lies and one truth. You have to find the truth. And so I, I guess I've kind of over the years just teaching, I have tried to figure out a bigger purpose than it, just the one thing that we're doing right in front of us. There's always deeper, deeper purposes. That's a good spot to stop and tell you something about Anne. Her reason for moving to Alaska is deeply rooted in her faith. You're about to hear a scripture she chose to share today from the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament. Habakkuk is a Hebrew name meaning he that embraces. He was a prophet from about 600 B.C., who is revered in Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. This particular message from him Anne is sharing is about writing your vision. Habakkuk 2.2, the New King James Version, says, Write the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. And when I was thinking about your podcast and what it's called and, and what's essential, I thought, gosh, if a person could sit down and write, this is what is essential to me, and this is how I'm going to bring it into my life, then you can run with it. I finished every chapter with the scripture, and I hope people could tie it in. I try not to be preachy in my, in my stories. I think you did a lovely job in your book. This is not fiction. This is a very personal story. It's important to note that the book is, um, is loaded with stories and vignettes that are then packaged into chapters that give them context and that the reader moves through these stories. Um, and we're going to focus on one of, the, one of the most emotional moments. This is in chapter nine. And so I wondered if you could just set up a little bit 
what we are going to hear in this story? Well, in, in chapter nine, uh, I tell about my husband's airplane crash. It, and it's probably the, you know, it's the closest to my heart. That's why I picked this passage. 13 Seconds by Ann Parker. Needless to say, Sean loved the increased performance of our sweet airplane that day. Even though he was frustrated that he wasn't comfortable with the super short landings. When he left Ray's strip for two more trips around the pattern, our plane was climbing like a homesick angel at 1,500 feet per minute. He gained about 400 feet altitude and started to throttle back to 2,500 RPMs from 2,700 RPMs. As soon as he pulled back on the throttle, the engine backfired and died. Sean hoped the engine would restart because the propeller was continuing to turn because of the wind caused by the forward motion of the plane. His first thought was that he would get the engine back. Sean's training kicked in, prompting him to go through his emergency procedures. He lowered the nose to glide speed, pulled the carb heat on, and switched the fuel selector to both tanks. Nothing helped, and he realized that he was going down. He had 13 seconds from the time the engine quit until he was on the ground. After going through the emergency procedures, his first thought was finding a place to land. He had only two possible options. He could land in a slough off of the Susitna River or try to find a break in the cottonwood trees on the island below him. He knew that the slough was going to be a stretch, and he would have to extend his glide to make it. It also had huge chunks of ice flowing in it. The water was inviting because there were no trees to hit, but he knew he could not last long in the freezing river if the plane ended upside down. Sean decided that the only option was to try to find an opening on the land. He saw a small clearing, but it wasn't wide enough to enter without hitting the wings. Sean kept slowing the plane down by pulling back on the stick, careful not to stall the aircraft. He just hoped that he wouldn't be hitting a tree dead on. Right before the first impact, the propeller quit turning. When the right wing hit the first tree, he heard a terrible noise, and the airplane spun around. Then the left wing hit. The next and last thing he remembered was looking straight at the ground as he was falling. In the next few moments, he found himself sitting in the plane, everything still except for the spinning of the gyros. Gasoline was leaking from both tanks. He turned off the master switch, hoping the airplane would not catch fire. The left window was busted out, and the windscreen was broken. Both wings were collapsed, and the door was jammed shut. It was a critical situation, but he was still alive. Sean found his cell phone in his left breast pocket. He called Ray to tell him that he had crashed. Ray and Riska had both heard the engine stop, had already called for help, and were headed from their house to the bluff to see if they could find him. They couldn't see him in the trees. Ray told Sean he was going to get in the husky to find him so he could identify his exact location when help arrived. Ray informed Sean that the Rescue Coordination Center had already been called, and a rescue team was on the way. After Sean knew that support was coming, he called me. I will never forget that call from Sean on November 1st, 2018, at 4.30 p.m., he told me in a very calm voice that he had crashed and was hurt. 
I was confused. I didn't know that he had decided to do a couple more touch-and-goes. The last thing I'd heard was that he was going to load the plane and ride out with Ray. Sean's voice was so calm that it took me a good bit to put together what he was saying. When Sean apologized for crashing our plane, it started to sink in. But I still thought it was minor damage because he was so calm. It didn't occur to me that he could be seriously injured. I asked how much damage there was to the plane. It is bad, he replied. I then realized that he had been in a severe crash. I asked if he was hurt. Very calmly, he answered, I think I broke my chest. I asked if he was bleeding, and he said he was. As soon as I realized the gravity of the situation, Sean asked me to pray. I fell to my knees in our living room and begged God to be with Sean. I never even said amen before I started asking Sean more questions about his injuries. He didn't want to talk anymore, but said he wanted to try to get out of the plane. He didn't tell me that gas was leaking all around him and that he was afraid that it would catch on fire while he was trapped. We hung up the phone, and I felt utterly helpless. I prayed again for Sean, and then prayed for myself. I needed to get to town. It was going to be dark soon, so I had to start figuring out a way to town so I could be there for my husband. Well, and all these people came together, and I didn't realize with each one of those those people that we had met, it was kind of like God bringing a group of people together to hold us up when we needed it the most. And, and that's community. You know, I think you're in this really remote area, and yet one second after another, it just seems like uh, as you unfold this story of rescue and recovery, it's also about the people that, um, that are there for you. Uh, I love that part of it. One lady I had never met, I had just met her over Facebook, but she came to the hospital and brought me a bag. And in it, there was soap and shampoo and a brush and Tylenol and a toothbrush. And she said, I didn't know if you had this stuff. And so I brought it and I will never forget that. And, and I thought, I don't know how many times I went and looked in there and found just what I needed. And that, I guess that little bag represented all those people, you know, who came together. They were just what we needed. As Anne is talking about community right here, I think it's a good place to pick back up her story from the beginning about unexpected visitors at Cub Lake. Well, I have to tell you a little story about what happened this weekend. We had two airplanes land on our lake this, this weekend. We were not expecting visitors. And so, I mean, I was so excited. I mean, almost like a puppy dog. You know, because I was like, oh, we have visitors, you know? So I ran downstairs, I put my clothes on and I just hightail it out to the lake. Well, Sean, of course, is much calmer about all of it. So he gets his clothes on <laughs> and he goes out and starts the snow machine so he could actually go down there and bring them back. So I run to the end of the lake. You know, it takes me forever because the, the snow's deep. One of the people who came out was a little eight-year-old girl. And I, I just, 
oh, I just, it was so much fun to see her, you know, and I'd never met her before, but I grabbed her up in a hug and I was like, I'm so glad you're here. And so uh, we do get that with dogs and, and too bad that we only allow dogs to do that. We need to be that way with each other. When we're happy to see each other, we need to say, I am so happy to see you. Do you want to tell any of the Kuma stories? Kuma was so very protective. I would be picking berries or no matter what I was doing, I could look up and he was somewhere close by. He might be laying down, but he was watching me. And he just a precious dog. He did save me from a bear. Um, but his being protective of me, just, I cannot even tell you what that did to my heart that I'll even cry, but I'll try not to cry, but you know, that he thought I was worth protecting. He, he taught me so many lessons that I, I think it would be easy to, to do a children's book with Kuma. Kind of something that's in the works. We'll see how that goes. And I love that you're up there thinking of great ways to live your life even larger than you are right now. <laughs> well, you know, we only get this one. <laughs> we did one. We might as well go for it, right? That's right. That's right. It's a good lesson. Thanks for giving me some of your time. I love seeing you. You're welcome. Thank you. I, I, I enjoyed seeing you. I knew you were happy to see me and thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate it. We'll see you. Bye, Anne. Ann Parker will be happy to see you on social media. I'll put all her links in the show notes, as well as a way to find her book and her audiobook. Thank you for listening. <laughs>